0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have our co-host... Kate Riga, back. Uh, Kate was away uh, last week, so we had an off week at the podcast. Now we're back, and uh, we have a lot to discuss. You know, uh, for months I've been saying that we're in this period of the politics of opacity, particularly up in the Senate, where we just don't all the all the stuff that's in public is 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 meaningless, and all the stuff that is is meaningful is happening out of our eyes. And so, you know, is there going to be infrastructure? Is there not? Is there going to be voting rights? Is there not? Well, kind of all of a sudden, now we're actually doing stuff and we do know what's happening. It's happening in a, in a, in a, in a fairly public fashion. We have two, you know, back to that old thing of these, you know, uh, linked processes with these two different, um, pieces of infrastructure legislation. You have the bipartisan mini deal which is which is kind of you, you know kind of inching its way forward, kind of uh everybody trying to figure out uh it it's it's kind of it's a bit different than we're used to in 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 really in the last dozen plus years where Occasionally, we have bills that everybody agrees on and it just kind of passes through and you're done. And then you have bills that Democrats want to pass and Republicans just prevent them from doing anything. And everybody knows how to do that now. That's very – everybody has those muscles uh, exercised and strong. But now you have this thing where Republicans are kind of – letting it happen and kind of sort of some of them supporting it, but also wanting to make it slow and kind of wanting it not to happen. And, 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 and they're trying to uh, figure it out as, as they go along. So we're going to talk about um, the current situation with uh, the president's infrastructure uh, program. And we're also going to talk about the latest on the January 6th investigation and Jim Jordan and uh and and stuff like that. And then we're going to talk about the fact that we're back in COVID. You know, how much we don't know exactly. Um and, you know, I I've I've written a few things about this on the side in the last week. It's really hard to know what is going on. It's really hard to know what is going on. You know, we've we're we're all kind of uh And this isn't to make light of it. We're all kind of past masters now at living under COVID. And what I mean by that is by, you know, after however many months or whatever, we had a basic understanding of how COVID works and what it does. And here's, you know, here's what you do to protect yourself, blah, 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 blah. blah. Here's this does this, this does that. The, you know, the vaccines have this level of efficacy. And then, in the last couple of weeks, suddenly everything was kind of unclear again. Like, and you're hearing these like wildly different things about the vaccines. Uh, you know, suddenly we're kind of flooded by a lot of anecdotal information. Everybody knows people who've had a breakthrough infection and and that's that's kind of unnerving because even though even though everybody who has paid attention knows that vaccines are not foolproof i think most of us kind of thought you're vaccinated you kind of the pandemic is mostly over for you if you're vaccinated and then we've had everything that you know i don't have to go through all the details for you everything that has happened in 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 the last uh, month or so but what is salient to me is that we're in a reality that is only a month or so old, in the sense of the Delta variant is now the dominant, almost exclusive version of COVID operating in the United States. We also, at least until very recently, had basically, you know, kind of all the mitigation was done. We had uh, a majority certainly a majority of the adult population vaccinated. And suddenly what happens with those variables was really not clear. And so you're kind of falling back on anecdotes and you've got this, you know, situation in Provincetown, Massachusetts that everybody's like, oh, you know, people who are vaccinated can get it and they can, uh, you know, spread it. And is that true? Is that not true? So we're going to talk about all of those um All of those things. And, uh, but before we do, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. It's here to help you cut through the heat this summer. Their famous New Orleans style coffee stays fresh in your fridge, so you never have to wait in line, pay coffee shop prices, or leave air conditioning. Concentrated and strong, Grady's tastes great however you take it. Black and bold, light and sweet, even spiked with an adult four loco. And Grady's is the best. Cold brew value around. Order a six pack of bean bags and you get t- and you get seventy-two servings of cold brew shipped directly to your door for only forty-five dollars. And shipping's free. If you're ready to give it a try, get twenty-five percent off your first order at grady's with promo code TPM. That's Grady's with promo code TPM. So Kate, you're back. What's up?
0: I'm back. Yeah. yeah. Had a nice little vacation down at the Jersey Shore, like the good Philadelphian I am. Got my first jellyfish sting. So i oh, wow.
1: how, how just just how how bad was it?
0: It wasn't bad, but it was kind of freaky because like it, you, you I did feel the tingly, tentacle like ting- wrap around my leg.
1: Oh yeah, you know? yeah. It's always it's always a little weird because like I had um, a couple years ago. I was down in uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, and I took my son's fly fishing um, with a, with a guide. And one of the, you know, sometimes you go out and you walk, you sort of walk on the flats and I, and I, and I, uh, got one of those things. It was kind of one of those things where you, where it wasn't like so much a sting as my legs started feeling kind of zingy kind of like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and you know, the vast majority of jellyfish, it just stings and it is what it is. It's annoying. And I asked the guide, I said, you know, what kind of you know, my, am, am I okay? Can I just ignore this? Right. And, uh, there's a bit of a language barrier and he's like, yeah, almost always. Okay. And I'm like, well, <laughs> dude, that, that's not helping me. Like what, what's the deal? <laughs> so, all right. So the jellyfish and what else?
0: Yeah, so Jellyfish uh, came after both me and my boyfriend, felt very pointed. Um, My family and we all watched many, many, many hours of Olympics. So, you know, ask me anything you want to on foil fencing because I now consider myself an armchair expert. Um, And it was really the first time I have pretty much since I've entered uh, this industry, since I've ever taken a week off of Twitter, a total week off. And I really only did it because kept spoiling the Olympics for me thanks to the time difference, but right, right, ended up right. kind of being a lovely purge <laughs> or a, a little break from the negativity.
1: It's great if you, when you can do that, you know, I think probably like a lot of other people, I have not, you know, I haven't taken a vacation during COVID because well, a, you know, until recently it kind of wasn't that easy to travel mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, kind of hard to distinguish what's vacation from what's being locked down kind of right. whatever. Uh, but when I, when, uh, before, you know, in the before times, I would, I, I wasn't able, I was not always able to do it, but I would, I would at least try to totally turn off, right. Just kind of drop out of that thing. Because I think like a lot of people in this business, it's, um, it, it's a lot of hard work, but it also, for me, at least it, it's, it's also an obsessive behavior, right. And, 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 it So it's hard to, you know, it it it's not like a a a job that is at least for me. It's not like a job that is kind of like oh, so glad to be home and be done with it for the day and kind of you know doing it twenty four seven. So that's always a when I can do that, it's a it it it's it's great,
0: but yeah. it's hard to do <laughs> exactly
1: for me at least.
0: Yep, exactly. So yeah, and now that it's funny, I kind of we came back to a slightly different world than we left you know um, the some mask mandates were put back in place in DC um, you know kind of a it seems like a, a surge of those breakthrough high profile breakthrough cases um, you know we had Lindsey Graham test positive he has been vaccinated and then you find out well he was just at a well, Joe Manchin's houseboat soiree with a bunch of other senators. Does so. Manchin
1: live on a houseboat?
0: Yeah, in D.C. Oh, he, okay, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: because it's always
0: the almost heaven. Say what okay, you will yeah. about the man, but that's a perfect name for a boat <laughs> from yeah, West Virginia. Well, that's really well, funny. Yeah,
1: you know, there's there's a whole there's a whole history, rather sordid history with houseboats, right? Because you know, Duke Cunningham lived on a houseboat.
0: Oh, I didn't know. Um, that.
1: So there's all yeah, and it was and and well, I can't remember the exact details, but like. Some lobbyist either gave it to him or sold it to him for 20 bucks or there was, there was some, there was some some aspect of the scandal was, it was called the Duke stir. Get it? Um, Duke stir. Duke stir. Right. Yeah. So
0: bad. Not as good as the almost heaven. Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's not good. It's,
1: it's cringy, but, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So so yeah,
1: so that's where it's, it's, but again, it's one of these, it's kind of like I was saying things have changed, but it's not. Clear how much things have changed, and and what what I mean by that is, um, there were a lot of I a lot of journalists, and this is you know it's hard it it's hard being um, you know dragooned into doing science journalism if you're not a science journalist, and 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 when science and epidemiology become central to the news, it's hard it's hard and it's hard when, when public authorities aren't, you know, don't know everything and it's hard for them to convey. And there, you know, there's, I'm sure you've heard about this whole um, July 4th Provincetown thing. And there was a while last week where it kind of sounded like people were saying like, Hey, you know, being vaccinated. Yeah, fine. It's going to keep you out of the hospital, but basically you can get it easily and you're going to spread it to everyone suddenly like, whoa, wait, what's going on? I mean, clearly mm-hmm. that's not true, but we still don't quite know where things are at. And and, and so it's a little unclear how to behave. Right. You know, what, what behavior should be.
0: Right. So while this is swirling around, um, we're kind of in the final stages, it seems, of the bipartisan bill, which, you know, we see, uh, seem to die many deaths on the way to get here. So in, in a way, it's kind of shocking. And now we're uh, in the amendments period. So, so far, we've seen, you know, kind of a handful of bipartisan, kind of boring, kind of mundane amendments pass pretty easily. Um, there. are have not been so far a ton of Republican kind of, you know, poison pill amendments. So I know Ron Johnson is bringing one up uh, about the border wall today. Um, and now kind of the question swirling around this, which is a similar question to one we've been asking the whole time is, okay, when is Schumer going to, you know, snip, snip, cut it off because McConnell has been saying, Oh, you know, slow and steady wins the race. Like, let's just keep this amendment process going. Cause as we know, know, the longer the process, the happier Republicans are. So now we're kind of in this limbo of waiting to see when Schumer cuts this off
1: and and so just just so I understand and our listeners understand so basically we are we're operating here under the filibuster rules, the 60 vote rules, and it's with the understanding that At least ten Republicans are probably going to allow this to come to a majority vote, and and I guess on the to start the debate, it was actually I think seventeen Republicans, Mm -hmm. so sort of you know an overwhelming vote to start, but they're kind of holding it out there, kind of like don't push us too fast, or we're not gonna. So so there's kind of I mean it's it's sort of going back to what I said a little while ago. Everybody's used to the two other things, you know, the, the China Innovation Bill, like yep done we all agree let's push it through you know done and done uh or just when republicans don't let you do anything but here where it's kind of kind of up in the air totally um and i guess and so in theory uh you could just keep doing this forever just keep doing amendments forever and and but so now it's kind of a lot of the democrats just think dude okay you did your million amendments, we're we're moving forward now.
0: Right. And it's exactly as you say. And I think Schumer, you know, is trying to walk a line where, like most of the amendments so far have been kind of earnest, you know, well-intentioned amendments. So, you know, he doesn't want to kind of cut off Republicans who are, earnestly trying to be part of the process. But the difference is they can both want to be earnestly part of the process and see it in their political interest to drag it out. So, you know, there's some- Be earnest for a really point. long time,
1: basically. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. I noticed that it was, I just, I mean, I have not been following this part of this that closely, you know, just the sort of the the mundane amendments thing mm-hmm. that closely. But I noticed yesterday there was one amendment that was, I think, uh, Rafael Warnock and Ted Cruz mm-hmm. had a joint, had one they did. And what was, what well, it was- Pretty anodyne. It didn't. What was it? Most of
0: them have been like that. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which that one was, but yeah, most of the kind of you know earnest ones have been Republican Democrat teams so far, And,
1: and, and and that kind of that is it's it's so unknown these days. That's what the legislative process is supposed to be, right? You have the sort of the the you start with a a piece of legislation and. You know, one person says, hey, I think we should add this We're add that. And you vote on it and you kind of and, you know, they're kind of deals and everything. It's 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 like uncanny. No one's used to that.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Especially
1: one kind of like, wait a second, you're not I mean, we've we've gotten used to w- with what they call these voteramas, just, you know, kind of vote, 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 vote that it's like all poison pills. Right. You know, just oh, I'm going to make you vote this. You're going to make, you know, uh it, All that kind of stuff. So it's just weird actually having a kind of a momentary sort of appearance of legislation. Right. Of the legislative process.
0: Yeah. Tom Carper from Delaware has kind of been charged with shepherding the amendments process through. um, And he talked to some reporters yesterday and was basically like, yeah, I don't expect it to go this well forever, but it's nice right now. Smell the roses, you know, appreciate that it's working the way it should for now, at least. So I think that's kind of where we are.
1: Right. So walk us through where we are in the bigger sort of structural process of this moving forward, um, presumably it will get, um, you know, there's two votes. There's the vote to let it be voted on and then there's the actual vote. Presumably it's going to get enough votes on the first one to get to the second vote. But there's this dance where you got to keep the moderate Democrats happy that their bipartisan thing got respect so that they're on board for the reconciliation vote. And, and some of this whole, th- I mean, cause for our listeners, it may seem like, all right, they're, they're doing the bill. If they, t- if they do amendments for three more days, like who cares? It's not like we're we're running low on days, but in fact, we are running low on days because there's a reconciliation. So walk us through the the two part thing. Where are we on right. that?
0: Right, so with reconciliation, kind of now that we finally have the bipartisan bill fully defined, you know it's almost three thousand pages. So you can say definitively at this point what's in and out, and that has kind of sparked off this mad scramble of um, advocacy advocacy groups to get their provisions that either they feel were underfunded or were passed over altogether in their bipartisan bill. Now they want that into the reconciliation bill, and we're kind of at the point with reconciliation where we got that top line that seemed to be broadly agreed on. I don't think Manchin really talked about it in much specificity, but the 3.5 trillion and you know the next step with that is to kind of break it down into allotments for each committee who's going to handle it. They're going to do the legislative text, send it back to budget committee, budget stitches it all back up and that's kind of the final product. But we're still in these early stages where everybody is jockeying for their provision to get money and you know because the moderates are kind of twitchy about spending a lot of money it creates a situation where money for something is going to come from money from something else. So we're starting to get into that area. And then timing wise, some groups who I've been talking to are just being very kind of gung ho about the idea that the House can't take up the bipartisan deal before the reconciliation bill is you know, more advanced to keep those things in tandem like we've been mm-hmm, talking mm-hmm. about to to ensure what they were worried about the whole time, which is that moderates will get their bipartisan bill passed, say, see ya, we're not going to spend this much more money and not be there. So there is still, you know, a, a big insistence on keeping these two things interconnected. And then looming over all of this is we have the August recess coming up, which is when typically the Senate would, you know, disband, go back to their home states, fundraise, kiss babies, that kind of stuff um, for a few weeks before they come back.
1: Now, isn't, isn't, Pelosi, though, backstopping that Mm -hmm. issue that kind of like they they can say whatever they want and people in the House can say whatever they want. But Pelosi is the one who has to bring it to a vote.
0: Yep. Which he's been very consistent on up until So do they
1: do to the extent that the and, and, you know, it's funny, labels get very um, get very hard to define in these cases because, you know, we just had this special election in uh, Ohio last night where Nina Turner, who's a big. Sort of a Sanders person, but has been—you know—she ended up supporting Jill Stein in 2016. Mm-hmm. There's that kind of progressive, or the Squad progressive. But when we talk about progressive in the context of these infrastructure bills, we're talking about a big chunk of the of the Senate Democrats. So it's a different—it's a—it's a—it's a more yep. expansive definition. So to the extent that there that those people are, you know, kind of a little wary wanting to keep these things, you know, joined and and I assume there's kind of comparable stuff among the House Democrats. To what extent those people do those people are they confident, look, Pelosi's just not gonna not gonna bring it to a vote. Do they are they confident that she's back stopping that? And that's kind of done? Yeah, that's
0: been my impression. I would say actually members seem to be a bit more comfortable on this front than the outside advocate groups, which I guess makes sense because I'm sure, you know, when I'm talking to people in like the climate immigration reform. These are people who've been burned before. So yeah. they're, they're wary. But yeah, I would say that, you know, I mean, to give Pelosi and Schumer credit on this, they kind of never wavered off the two track thing. Even when Republicans were throwing a fit about it, they were like, right. no, we've been doing this from the beginning. This is what we're going to do. So.
1: Right, right. Well, like, I guess also, I mean, just to, to defend the, you know, sort of outside activist groups, it's never great to say, like, yeah, I'm sure we're covered. Totally. I'm not worried. I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll take care of us, right? I mean, it's, you, need, you you. You always, it, it, and that's not a matter of that, that anyone's being honest, like, you know, verify, but what is it? Trust, trust but and verify. verify. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Well, and
0: especially a lot of these groups, particularly the environmentalists, you know, see this moment as absolutely critical. Cannot miss. Cannot be excluded from this. So I think that's just kind of heightening everything. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. So there was um, a few. I don't know when exactly. A couple weeks ago. Maybe it was even when you were away. That uh, Kirsten Cinema made this thing, kind of like, oh yeah. And also, I'm not down for 3.5 trillion. And it mm-hmm. was. It was a I think people overinterpreted it because obviously it's easy for her to say, like, oh, it's a little too high. I'll go for, you know, 3.4995 <laughs> trillion, you know, just, just another more performative bullshit from her. But to the extent that so there's kind of two ways to look at this. There's the there's the top line argument. Are we are we down with three point five? And then obviously within three point five, various things could get as much as they want or not get as much as they want. But is, is, is that, are people concerned about that? Are people concerned about cinemas? Like what's, give us a sense of that.
0: It's funny. I haven't really picked up on a lot of concern about it. And I think, I think it's because it's one thing for her to kind of say she loves the filibuster. I mean, she's not the only one saying that, right? So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter what she does. She kind of has like, is she has a buddy. And then that's kind of been true for everything that she's taken her hardline stance on. It's just she right. hasn't been out on a limb on her own. Right. And the idea that she would sink this this huge, progressive, historic piece of legislation... I don't know. I call, I'm i skeptical.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I mean, it's, I, I wrote a post about this when you were away. I mean, A, I, I interpreted that. I mean, there was a lot of knee-jerk responses like, oh my God, this is the betrayal. Everybody's been, you know, she got her bipartisan mini bill and now mm-hmm. she's, and she didn't say that. She just basically said, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm not sure 3.5 is going to work for me. But again, you, you knock off 50 million and suddenly she's gotten her whatever. Um, but I, I made this point, I think you're exactly right. She's a phony. She's from a purple state. If she's on her own, she's going to fold. There's no way. I mean, there, there's just no way that that is going to fly in the Democratic caucus and she will fold. And so that, may, that makes sense to me that people aren't terribly. I, I just see it as, I mean, I don't know what her deal is. I don't know what kind of is motivating her at this point, but she's almost become sort of like a troll in the context of of democratic coalitional politics. I mean, she, I don't know if you saw this, she did this thing a couple days ago where she she told Schumer, like, my vacation plans are set in August. Oh my
0: God, I saw that.
1: <laughs> I, which, which just kind of like, w- 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 what do you say to that? Right. Right, I mean, it's it just, it, it, it is, it's, it's like when she did that thing with, what was it, like the unemployment insurance, the little, little you know, kind of, uh, uh, or the like
0: curtsy it? thing?
1: Yeah, like a um, little curtsy.
0: curtsy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just, just, uh, I'm really curious. Like, I, I haven't seen any polls on this. Like, I'm curious, what is her, what is. What is her level of support among Democrats in Arizona right now?
0: I mean, the only one I've seen, which you might've seen, it's a few weeks old at this point, but I think it was data for progress and, uh, Adam Gentleson, who we've had on to do an insider briefing, a former Harry Reid aide. he kind of broke it down in a, in a Twitter thread and the upshot of it was basically like, yeah, Republicans like her better than they like Mark Kelly, but (laughs) they're going to vote for the Republican. They're not going to vote for her. And then she ultimately, you know. If I'm remembering correctly, Kelly is much better with Democrats, but I don't think she was even better with independents than he was. So it's kind of like, what's what's your game? Yeah, I mean, it it wouldn't
1: surprise me if, like, I would not be surprised to see a poll that showed her... Re, you know, relatively high approval with like maybe like 40 percent approval from Republicans just because they like what she's doing. Right. But no, but that doesn't mean they're going to vote for her. I mean, that's exactly. obvious. Right. Um, So I don't know what's going to happen with there. I mean, she's not up until until uh, until 2024. So. Right. Who knows? Yeah, and
0: I, I think the kind of uh, top line statistic from that poll that a lot of people were talking about was it was something like sixty three, just over sixty percent of Democrats said they would rather vote for a primary challenger who was committed to getting rid of the filibuster. So I think a lot of people kind of wow,
1: sixty percent. So 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 basically, she goes into a potential primary with sixty percent of Democrats saying they want to vote against her.
0: Right, I mean, and it's obviously I mean, it's you know, two
1: years. It's a long ways away, all that kind of stuff. Away. But that's that's not great. That's well, not. It makes I mean, that's yeah.
0: Because it's like you say, it's almost everything she does really just seems totally absented from any kind of moral or ideological positioning. It just kind of seems like she picks sporadic things that won't get her in too hot of water with the Democratic caucus, but that will strategically piss Democrats off.
1: No, and 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 it. This is the thing I mean people obviously Joe Manchin drives people crazy, but I think the vast majority of Democrats who understand the sort of the political context in 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 West Virginia understand his background, sort of like, look, you know, if we didn't want to take Joe Manchin's crap, we should have elected a few more Democrats right. from blue states, and here we are, and kind of like you know and 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 the other thing it's funny, I remember talking to a person at the White House about this that as much as he drives them crazy. He has not. He has not really up, upset the apple cart for them. Yep. He hasn't done something where kind of like, man, you fucked us, and he, now we're we're it's over. A lot of a lot of hand holding, a lot of annoyance. But at the end of the day, he's usually there. Now, obviously, some stuff like on voting, kind of like you can't really say end of the day because we haven't gotten to the end of the day, at least in theory. But right. So yeah, I. It is a total mystery to me. What her um, kind of what her political end game is? Because again, th- that that vacation thing that that that's just kind terrifying. of like saying like like it's just like a fuck you to like every every Democrat, everybody who thinks this is important. Kind of like your vacation. Well, and to some I degree, mean, really? like
0: every voter. That's the po- her political calculus stuns me again and again. But I just. Who does it win with to be like, I, a public servant, am going to prioritize my vacation over the job I was elected to do. Sorry, tough. Like, that's who I am. I'm a maverick. Sorry. I just, I don't understand how that fits with any kind of winning political thing.
1: Yeah, I, I really don't know. I think it has to, it's, it's sort of one of three things. One is she actually doesn't want to run for reelection again. And some people bring that up, but I doubt it. You don't run for Senate and not want to... I mean, she's not like some business person who kind right. of did it on a lark or something like that. I mean, she's been in politics for her whole adult life. She was in the state legislature. She worked really hard to get into Congress. She had a very tough fight to get into the Senate. You don't just walk away from that. I doubt that very much. Um, another possibility is she's kind of clueless and thinks she's she's doing kind of a... 90s aughts version of triangulating and that's gonna work for her. I don't you may still believe, one may still believe in the the for lack of a better word, the substance of triangulating. But politically, it's that does not work. That does not that really does not work. Certainly not from a state like Arizona. Um, or she just figures, you know what? it's, I'm not out for 2020 until 2024. I can just be, I can be, you know, Joe Democrat as soon as this is over and people will forget about this. And what what are you going to do? Primary me and lose the Senate seat. And that's not, unfortunately, that's kind of, I mean, the thing is, is that when in, in, in theory, I mean, there's no magic about her in Arizona. So in theory, just get a better Democrat and run that person. But it's hard to come back in a in a in a close run state. It's hard to have a really brutal primary challenge and win that primary challenge and go back to like, OK, we're all happy now. We're all friends and let's let's beat the Republicans. That doesn't always work. In fact, it tends not to work. So who so
0: usually I would. Number three is kind of my natural inclination and what I've been thinking. And I'm also very much of the camp that people love to say this'll bite them in the in their next election. And it's like people don't have that long of attention spans. Like, I don't think so. But if anyone was gonna be an exception, I just think it I think it would be her. She has angered so many Democrats. And I think it's because people are smart enough to know when you're opposed to something most of the Democratic Party is for because you're from West Virginia or because you are a more conservative Democrat and they're smart enough to watch kelly not take that stance i mean she's got a one-to-one comparison working so i mean if there's any kind of good way to make sure that people remain pissed off with her from now until the midterm or until 2024 it's going to be deciding to be a fly in the ointment during this you know very brief and fleeting window for democrats to actually get meaningful legislation across the line
1: yeah. No. Absolutely not. yet. Not at all. So, so walk walk us through what's the what's the what's the you know kind of game plan? What's the timeline over the next week or so? Where, where's this stuff going?
0: Right. So, it, there's been some speculation that Schumer will file for closure on Thursday. So, towards the end of the week, kind of ending this amendment process, bringing up that final uh, sixty-plus vote threshold, and then leading us to the final vote on. The bipartisan bill sometime this weekend, so we'll see. I mean, that it might be somewhat optimistic. Um, Senator Enzi died recently from Wyoming, and his funeral's on Friday, so a lot of people want to go to that funeral, which might throw a wrench in the works. I saw some concern that you know if if that houseboat thing turned into a super spreader, you know that right. might throw a wrench into the works. But that is right. kind of that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility for timing right now. And then I think
1: relatively soon.
0: Relatively soon. And then I think we'll see what happens to the August recess. I'm kind of, I think, I think lawmakers love to say, well, except for cinema, you know, I I will stay, I'll I'll work through. And then as soon as the recess comes close, they're like, oh man, I really want to go home. (laughs) So, right,
1: right, right. We'll Well, kind of see. It's also not like there's anything like set in stone. It has to be these days in August and not those days in August. I mean, they can be, and, and, they can also speed things up when they want to right now obviously you know do you need both parties and but but at a certain point you're gonna have a situation where republicans want to leave too Right. And so everybody's incentives get a little get a little exactly. squishy.
0: And then we also obviously have reconciliation going on, but we are kind of at a point where, you know, it's heavy staff involvement. It's heavy lobbyist involvement when you're getting into the, the nitty gritty, the particular. So, and that is going to earnestly take some time. So right. Um, right. I think what people are kind of hoping is that there is some kind of strong top line unification. This is what we're gonna do. They'll go on recess. Their staffs will keep actually working on the on the text and everything and then right. be ready to roll kind of August, September looking to get that passed.
1: And so the, I guess the idea being to the extent that to the extent that the Democrats can send a strong signal to everyone else and to themselves, like we know exactly, we know what we're going to do. It may take us a little longer than we thought, but we know what we're going to do and and kind of it's happening. Right. That 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 kind of gives them a little more flexibility because obviously, I mean, there's no no absolute time limits here. It's a kind of a political getting into the next year, people's, you know, uh, people start worrying about the next election. So that gives you a little more, a little more flexibility.
0: Right. All right. So now let's move on to January sixth. The investigation of which started publicly last week um, with a hearing where you know they brought in various police officers who were there on January sixth. Um, I was on vacation, but you know have kind of caught up, and I've heard from a lot of people that it was they were surprised by how much it moved them, by how emotional it was. You know, a lot of the officers started crying when they shared their experiences. And even though we'd heard, I think, the contours of a lot of these stories before, because these officers in particular have been those who have been kind of more willing to talk to the press, talk to representatives, um, but, you know, hearing stories about them being called vile racist epithets and, you know, being squished in the door and everything. I mean, to me, it, it almost reminds me of um the those early days of the second impeachment trial when they showed us the footage from the insurrection that we hadn't seen before. Uh, you know, right. Mitt Romney almost running into them, things like that. It was, I was shocked at how, Deeply shaken, I was after watching those things because you're like, you know, you you know, in some part of your brain, this is what happened, but seeing it specifically or hearing the details is just a different experience.
1: I, I think also one of the things that showed, um, although it's less, uh, you know, significant in a way, is that not having, we know they do have Republicans on the committee, they don't have any pro insurrection. Right Republicans on the committee. And I think one of the things you saw is that when you have that, and normally, look, normally you're supposed to have sort of both sides there, right? But in the, in the current environment, when you don't have half the time going to people who, I mean, what are you going to say, right? You're going to say like, oh, Cry more, snowflake, right? I mean, it's it's, but basically they do, right? And when you don't have one side kind of trying to make the process a joke, trying to kind of filibuster in the old sense of the word, it's different, right? It's different. I mean, like there was, uh, you know, even during the impeachment hearings in the House, second time. Wait, I'm losing track now. No, first time. uh, You know, when you have. Half the people there, again, just saying a lot of nonsense to make the whole thing seem stupid and just make it a joke. When you don't have that, it makes it a lot more powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, Republicans brought that on themselves. You know, uh, uh, they could have they could have had their pro insurrection Republicans. They just couldn't have it with people like Jim Jordan. Right. Um, and speaking of Jim Jordan, I mean, this is one of the the main reasons I wanted to uh, wanted us to kind of come back to this for a bit in this episode. You know, since that happened and since the whole drama about his not being allowed to be on the committee, it's become more apparent he's a witness. There's been this series of, you know, series of interviews he's done. Maybe he won't do any more, but series of interviews he did over the last week where first he just kind of let it slip that he was talking to Trump on the day. Then he then he admitted he talked more than once and then trying to kind of ignore the question and blah, 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 blah. I think think there's something happening here where this subject, I mean, Trump is putting it back into the center of the political discussion because he's saying that Republicans need to support it basically. But what's become clear here is that there is a real investigation and there are a lot of Republican elected officials who are at least witnesses and maybe perpetrators in this, and they got themselves to a situation where it's a real investigative committee. There's no one on it to run interference for them. If anything, the Republicans on it are are even more gung-ho. I mean, it's hard to say they're more gung-ho than the Democrats, but no less. I mean, Liz Cheney's in this for keeps. You know, she's basically torched her career over this. She wants people to go down
0: I mean, she's the first one who called. She said Jordan may be a material witness, so yeah, he shouldn't be on the committee. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and I, I, um, it's it's one of these things when you know subpoenas are going to come, and you know that they're actually you know there's a certain sense in which it's kind of not really a bipartisan committee because we're sort of defining partisanship these days by you know are you against the insurrection or for it, right? (laughs) But but there are Republicans, and not just I mean. Liz Cheney is an extremely conservative Republican. And I do think that there are key political figures here who have their hands dirty from what happened here. And Trump is trying really hard to make support of the insurrection a kind of a central element of Republican political affiliation. And they kind of want to do that, but not quite as much as Trump wants. And I think they feel... I think they're in a bad spot, and I think they're right to think they're in a bad spot.
0: And I, I just simply cannot emphasize enough, Like, how many times are we told Mitch McConnell is the most savvy legislator? He is untapped genius. No one like him. No one will ever be like him. This whole situation could have been avoided. Republicans did not have to deal with this. The first committee that Nancy Pelosi was championing would have been staffed by outside experts. Republicans would have had Republican appointees would have a subpoena over or a veto over any subpoenas they wanted to send out. They could have put whoever they freaking wanted on the committee and it didn't pass the Senate because McConnell moved against it. I'm sorry, but I just, that has to be part of the conversation. It's like Republicans are in this terrible position and they did it 100% to themselves. Like they really saved Democrats from themselves on this one because they were all for a committee that would have been useless and got nothing done. So
1: absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So so next topic
0: uh, the pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) So, like we kind of alluded to at the top of the show, we're now in this weird limbo extended pandemic time where you know most people who want the vaccine have been able to get it you know we we kind of moved out of our scarcity phase into our hesitation phase and even more than hesitation then we still have you know republican corners actively urging people not to get vaccinated positing being vaccinated as a theft of your personal freedoms, liberties, un-American, liberal, take your take your pick. So now we're in this weird situation where, as you know, Joe Biden said, we've got a pandemic of the unvaccinated, huge case numbers in parts of the country where a lot of people are unvaccinated. And then because of that, you know, we've got kind of room for variants to run, which is scary because there's always the fear that you know, the vaccines won't be effective against all of these variants. And then you, you know, we also kind of, like you said, there are some breakthrough cases, which we knew were a possibility. And, you know, they are in some ways, you know, really good lessons to get the vaccine because people who test positive, you know, even older people are saying they don't feel good, but they're not hospitalized. They're not really sick. They're not dying, but that's where we are.
1: A friend of mine whose father is 95 currently has a case of COVID in in Florida. And, you know, thank God that, I mean, look, 95 is very old. So any illness is Mm -hmm. is a very touch and go thing. But at least from what I've sensed, he seems like he'll be okay, right? And that is a pretty big testament to the vaccine. Totally. You can get COVID at 95 and you're going to get through it and not even be hospitalized. I mean, So uh, yeah, it's it's it, and, and we do, and it, and it is clear that the Delta variant does knock down the efficacy of the vaccines to some extent, not a big extent, but some some real extent. Um, and uh, the, the the other thing, you know, the other thing I wanted to, to mention that I think is important for understanding what's going on here: Florida is a relatively unvaccinated state relative to the rest of the country. But it's not as bad as as some other states. So, so, I mean, it is overperforming with COVID <laughs> relative to its vaccination status. And I think what that tells us is that it's not just vaccination. It's vaccination with behavior. And behavior doesn't mean, you know, everybody needs to be locked down or they're constantly wearing masks or blah, 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 blah. But there's just edge case things. Like, are you going to go to a nightclub unmasked and just party all night long? you know maybe you know maybe but like how many people are going to do that right or do it when there's other unvaccinated people there um or you know you go to the supermarket you wear a mask you know just little flimsy little surgical mask you know th- things like that it it's a combination of low vaccination low, you know, kind of easy lift mitigation behavior, um, those things, you know, those things add up and that's, uh, for, for those outs for not where, uh, or at least most of us at TPM are in New York city, uh, New York city announced, uh, just in the last, uh, 24 or 48 hours starting next month, basically most indoor things you're going to need to be vaccinated, go to a restaurant, go to a performance, you're going to need to show your vaccine passport, um. So, and that that's gonna be an interesting thing because I think I think that will keep cases down. I think it'll also drive a lot of people to get vaccinated.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and obviously you can't go
1: out to dinner, that's a bummer.
0: Right. And the big part of kind of what you're saying is like the reason that going to a nightclub is not safe if you're vaccinated is because of the unvaccinated people. And I think that's really frustrating. And I do think that People who feel that I sacrificed a year and a half of my life, I stayed home, I was responsible, I got the vaccine as soon as I could, and now you're still telling me there's stuff I can't do because other people won't get the vaccine. I think that's a real frustration that has been glossed over a bit in this kind of abundance of think pieces about, you need to understand where they're coming from. You need to understand the MAGA point of view, which has been a theme since Trump came on the scene, you know, kind of this browbeating of of, uh, you know, kind of blue state liberal people to be like, you must understand where they're coming from. And that's why when I saw the New York thing, I was so pleased because it feels to me that there's been this fear of the right wing reaction of putting in vaccine mandates or vaccine passports that has caused people instead to do mask mandates, which is back to that original frustration, which is both masks don't work as well as vaccines. And also, again, you're You're putting strictures on the behavior of people who did everything that you asked them to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think the New York thing, I think, is going to be fodder on Fox News from now until forever. They're going to compare it to Nazi Germany and everything. But they were doing that already, and they were already conflating mask mandates with vaccine passports. And I just think kind of governing in this defensive crouch from what Fox News is going to say it's just never going to work they will always find fuel to be outraged about whether or not it's true and at some at some point we got to end the pandemic you know we mm-hmm. got to we can't just let it continue forever because a good part of the country now aligns their political identity with putting other people in danger
1: it's it's i think this is the biggest error that We have collectively made as a country in the in the vaccine period, for lack of better words, you know, from the beginning of this year, that we have consistently placed the burden of non-vaccination on the vaccinated. Yep. And that does a number of very negative things. One, it creates, I mean, the incentive to get vaccinated is not to get sick and die, right? Mm -hmm, But but clearly that is not a significant incentive for some people. So you need to create more incentives and some of them have to be sticks, not just carrots. Mm-hmm. The other thing though, is you create this situation, you create no incentives for the vaccinate, no no burden. You don't put the weight of the burden on the people who are causing the problem, the unvaccinated. And you also create this perverse sort of demoralization among the vaccinated mm-hmm. and and kind of, you know, you, 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 you. Uh, you breed a sort of contempt on the part of the vaccinated towards public authorities. It's like, wait a second, I got vaccinated. Why am I having to put on a mask again? Mm -hmm. And again, it's this this misassignment of the burden. Put the burden of non-vaccination on the non-vaccinated. Fine you don't want to get vaccinated, don't go to any indoor public places, except maybe a few that are, you know, you're not going to say you can't go to the hospital or can't go to the doctor, or maybe, you know, if you need to get, go to the DMV or something like that. But like, you go into a rock concert, go into a, go, go into a nightclub or going out to dinner. No, because why do, why do vaccinated people have to deal with your stupidity? Yep. Deal with it on your own. And, and, and that is both the most, the most equitable Way to do it. It's also the way to get people vaccinated, because you know there's um, there's definitely one of the one of the other errors we've made is that there's really two issues. There's not vaccine hesitancy. There's one group that is hesitant. That is disproportionately young, and it's disproportionately African American and Hispanic. And that group is proper. If you poll them, very few of those people say never getting vaccinated. Man, it's like. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I'm I'm a little, you know, it's it's a new thing. I'm a little little worried about the new technology. Um I can't get time off work. Um we know that in the African American community there's a lot of history of relationship with 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 public health which, you know, may not be directly applicable to here, but it's a it's it's a hurdle that is that it that is real. And then you have a resistance problem of people saying, "Nope." Never going to get vaccinated, not, never going to happen. And those people are overwhelmingly white and conservative. And they tend to be middle-aged, my age. I mean, you know, I, I'm like the poster boy for non-vaccination, only I'm vaccinated. Uh, not the conservative part, but everything else. Um, and yeah, it's really that. You, you The public policy has to be, you put the burden of non-vaccination on the non-vaccinated everything else screws everything up because you know look at a certain point if you have a situation where everybody's got to wear masks then it, look it is what it is right i mean if it, if it's really necessary but it's not necessary because if you, if you if you, if you are in a if you're in a restaurant with only non-vaccinated with only vaccinated people there's not no risk but pretty close pretty close to no risk so right yeah. and
0: it's i totally agree with all that and it's also just There's no other option. You know, you can make people mask up from now until kingdom come. Great. That'll prevent some spread, you know, from the unvaccinated people. But that's not going to end the pandemic. And also, we've just seen the myriad problems with trying to enforce a mask mandate on people who see resisting it as part of their political identity. You know, that's why we keep seeing people get in brawls on airplanes and fight people at stores. I mean, it's also that's just not a fair thing to put on people to enforce to tell these kind of violently adamant people you must be wearing a mask. It's just we've seen the problem that that creates.
1: Well, it's also it, it is too and this is the one this is something that I think that the the public health authorities have have sort of missed or not been sufficiently focused on is that it goes without saying the people who won't get vaccinated definitely aren't wearing masks it's part of the same it's part of the same identity exactly so it's not like kind of like oh i'm not getting vaccinated but i'm definitely going to wear a mask because i don't want to endanger you i mean come on right there was even like there was even like a poll out today that said uh some big poll like the the non-vaccinated are less likely to wear masks than the vaccine i mean no shit. No shit. Right. I mean, that's totally obvious. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's just totally obvious. So the idea that you're going to say like, Hey, vaccinated people, you cannot wear masks. Oh, bummer. Unvaccinated. You got to still keep wearing. I mean, right.
0: Exactly. The end result, as we all know, is just going to be people who already got vaccinated, who did what they were supposed to do, now have to wear masks again. Which, again, the demoralization thing—like the reason why you did all this stuff—you got a shot that kind of hurt and made you sick, and you stayed in your house for years because that's that was socially responsible. That was the right thing to do. And just it—it it, it really just blows my brain that you know, in some in some parts of the country now, the response is just. Yep. Well, now you have to continue to suffer indefinitely because yeah. a good chunk of the country is being irresponsible.
1: And again, to me, you know, we don't know where COVID is going, right? It, it is we're, we're COVID is going to do what it wants to do. And we may have, you know, we may have a variant that escapes the vaccines. We could have future life. We don't know what's going to happen and, and we're going to have to deal with whatever happens. But again, right now, we are we are here because of the unvaccinated. It's their fault, and so they've got to carry the you know carry the burden for it. So uh, yep. let's get to questions. Coming coming so, to the end of the episode
0: here. Our first is from Dan, who says, "But do you do you think it was a mistake for the CDC to tell people they could stop wearing masks if they're vaccinated?" Which is kind of in line with with everything that we just said. Which to me, I think no because i think you have to give people incentives to act responsibly and people who did act responsibly should then be the beneficiaries of those incentives which include not having to wear a mask
1: i think it was i think it may have been slightly premature but i think the only real issue is it made sense to say and make a rule to the extent that the cdc or whatever makes a rule that hey if you're not vaccinated you can you don't have to wear a mask you don't have to wear a mask you you at least don't have to wear a mask around other non-vaccinated people um but they they didn't they didn't d I mean when that guidance came out the response of all the different municipalities and states was like dude masks are done everybody's like awesome there were there wasn't even there wasn't even really an attempt to say like hey if you're not vaccinated you still got to wear a mask I mean it wouldn't have mattered but they you know what I'm saying they would they weren't even saying that so the real the real problem is yes it made sense to do that but it was obvious that if you didn't have a way to know and to 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 litigate who's vaccinated and who's not that that just meant that that all mitigation was going to stop even though a, a, a big big chunk of the population some not even, some beyond their choice i.e. kids under 12 couldn't get vaccinated yet so th- that just didn't that just didn't make sense because again you created a situation where the the non-vaccinated could screw everything up for everyone else and and there was no way to police the non-vaccinated th- doing that and the problem we have now is that uh, Delta is spreading like wildfire among the unvaccinated and it's spreading so much that it is lapping up onto the shores of the vaccinated, you know, still a lot of, still a lot of, um, uh, protection, but when it's going, you know, it's sort of, I think a lot of the uh, doctors and epidemiologists kind of compared it to, it's like a great raincoat, right? You have a, your vaccination is a great raincoat. Right. But if you fucking go into a hurricane, you're probably still going to get wet. And certainly if you jump in the ocean, you're going to get wet. Right. So I think without dealing with the issue of restricting the activities of the non vaccinated, it was just an incomplete policy. That's how I, I guess I would put my it.
0: question is just what's, what's your alternative though? So you tell people you get vaccinated and you have to continue wearing a mask indefinitely. I mean, well, no, I know I that. Think-
1: I, I, well, I, I think there's a couple things. I think that there's one thing is there is there's there's mandates and there's just what's smart. Right. Um, I still wear I, when I go to the supermarket, I wear a mask. You know, it's I don't mind. It's just a little more protection. It's fine for me. I, I don't think other people shouldn't be forced to do that. That's just that that's just my level of risk aversion. Um, I think it it. I don't think it's that everyone has to wear a mask, but you have to have a policy that is kind of like, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come and hang with people who are vaccinated. Totally agree. Yep.
0: Okay. And now our second question, looping back to Stuart, who says, big business and the people who own America, the 1% are hugely powerful. They surely can't be happy about what a COVID resurgence would do to their profit. So why isn't the chamber of commerce, et cetera, doing everything possible to get people vaccinated? I have trouble believing that they're totally cowed by Trump and the MAGA world. Which this is a really interesting question to me because it, this was kind of an area that I got wrong. I thought that early in the pandemic, way before we had vaccines developed, I thought that the economic drivers of having society vaccinated would be so much stronger than any other, you know, identity inclination, political inclination that Republicans, too, would hop on board in the interest of getting businesses back on their feet and re- kind of recharging the economy. And that is a that's a space that I have continued to be kind of surprised, even though, you know, I think it, it is the more mainstream Republican position to still say you should get vaccinated. You know, it's there, it is definitely still more of a fringe element to say that's taking away your freedom, blah, blah, blah. You know, we have Republican senators kind of making PSA videos all the time about it, but I, you know, it does kind of show the divide, the really fundamental divide between new Republicans and old, old Republicans who are kind of, you know, in bed with big business and, and who have, you know, these corporate relationships that kind of guide their political instincts.
1: Well, I, I think, first of all, you are seeing now, especially with in the light of the news that, that uh, the FDA is going to give, probably, probably give a final authorization for the COVID vaccines beginning of next month. Um, even though there was that court case in Texas, that's going to free up a lot of organizations and businesses just say, you got to do it. It's a condition of employment. So I do think you are seeing now corporate America kind of starting to push this but i think it's also an example of the the republican party you know in some ways when it comes to to certain aspects of tax policy yes it's really controlled by the very wealthy who want low taxes and all that kind of stuff but the republican party is not is not ruled by corporate america that's not how it works it 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 doesn't um it 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 simply doesn't follow a lot of narrowly um pro corporate you know kind of pro economic growth policies there's a, I mean Trump made that clear in a lot of ways a lot of stuff he did that was great for those people um but a lot of the trade stuff was not and um i think you know we just all you have to do is look at 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 um at uh, 2020 to see that's just not that's just not how it works um there are a lot of there are a lot of drivers of public policy on the republican side that are not lined up with corporate boardrooms just not i mean again as you say if it would have been the case we would have had a thing kind of like you, you know starting in march or kind of whenever you know vaccines became semi plentiful, uh, of just saying everybody's gotta get everybody's gotta get vaccinated. That's how it is. Mandate this, mandate that. If you wanna work, if you wanna do anything, you have to do it. And that didn't happen. So the Republican Party is not is not just driven by uh uh corporate boardrooms in the way that the way that some people think.
0: Well and I also think it is a statement on how much the culture wars have kind of taken over especially that emphasis of the Republican Party that you know, the corporate kind of cronyism, but, and now it's all about what can you kind of stoke the the working class white people to be mad about. Mm-hmm. And that time and time again is your individual liberty, your individual uh, freedom. You know, what you personally want to do is more important than the collective good. And in this case, that manifested in a way that, you know, was kind of anti-economic growth.
1: Yep. Absolutely. All right. So uh, let me remind everybody that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice coffee. You can get 25% off your first order at Grady'scoldbrew.com with promo code TPM. And w- this is this is the last week we're going to be accepting um, submissions for our theme song contest. So if you if you've been waiting around, you know, definitely get it in. Uh, definitely get it in now. And uh, I guess we'll we'll talk to you next week.
0: Yeah. Talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. All right.
1: Later, folks. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car right in your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time?